Okay, so it's Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Complicated Head, Chapter 5, The Adventure of Sharky the Crocodile. Oh, good. <laughs> Extract from the Diary of Rock Hard Place, <gasps> November 2016. Dear Diary, we are at woe. <laughs> and in a woe like no woe before. <laughs> <laughs> On one side, the whole of humanity, seven billion people. On the other side, one dead guy. <laughs> now that sound like an easy wall to win, but we lose him, and we lose him bad. The fat detective's pretty much all dead. I check the membership list and find there are only two fat detectives left alive. And Billy Joe Jesus, they two are the <laughs> worst. One of them a total dumbass, and the other just pure evil. Like Modo and Baby's kind of evil. But somebody gotta be the new head of the guild. So I choose the knucklehead. Because, hey, at least he don't murder no babies. <laughs> NB. This knucklehead is subsequently referred to by the abbreviation GB. Mm. Took me a long time to track GB down. But yesterday, I find him hiding out with a bunch of celebrities. <laughs> I tell him he's the only fat detective left alive, because I think then he can't say no. But I'm wrong. He say <laughs> a big fat no. <laughs> then he take off his magic hat so he can't see me no more and run off crying. <laughs> so that the end of him. <laughs> so I've written him out. Oh, good. And then he goes after the evil one. <laughs> that just leave me with one choice. Oh. A man who almost as bad as Pope Stimberline himself. Yeah. A man so nasty, we never used to invite him to guild meetings. A man so foul, he killed his own family, sacrificed his parents to some ancient evil. A man with no compassion, no empathy. A man they say ain't entirely human. They say he escaped from hell itself, mm. clawed his way out and climbed into the world, bringing his terrifying demonic powers with him. A man who would eat you, just because you closer to his mouth than the nearest cake. And he only got one leg. <laughs> since, he, since he got into that argument with Sharky the Crocodile. But maybe he exactly the man we need. Maybe the guild need a head who's complicated. I don't got no other choice if the guild dies... The blame is at my feet. It all over my shoes like a dog dookie. <laughs> and I don't want no dog dookie on my shoes. Yeah, it is the best episode of Defensive <laughs> ever. <laughs> the continuing adventures of Brett Binchley, the soft-boiled private dick with a crippling fear of pies. 19 years later. Oh, uh, he's just got power as well. A fire was burning, although, really, that's all fires do. Mm. You might as well say a hat was hatting, <laughs> or a pig was pigging, but the fire wasn't doing anything else. It wasn't playing the drums or building a shed. It was a fire, and it was burning. And there was a roasting dog suspended over it on a spit, slowly being turned by Rock Hard Place. Mm. Detective, diarist, dog rotator. Tonight, he said to the eight skinny teenagers sat in a circle around him, you all become F.A.T. detectives. <laughs> <laughs> if you pass your final test, mm. 
They were in an unruly garden that had once belonged to an enormous palace, celebrating their graduation and admittance into the unparalleled safety of the guild headquarters. We've been through a lot together, said Hardplace, using his thoroughly corporeal and oddly feminine mouth. Oh, right, okay. Most of us sadly didn't make it. Like Jimmy, who fell asleep on that tiger. And Sandra, who got drunk and tried to kiss a helicopter. There was a murmur of sadness and a crackling of dog. I can say without doubt, y'all are gonna make fine detectives. You just have to face one last trial. An apprentice gasped. Not Sharky the Crocodile, he said. (laughs) No, not Sharky the Crocodile. This test is simple. We call it the nudie test. There was a pause so pregnant that babies came out of it. (laughs) Eventually, a skinny girl of about 19 raised her bony hand and said, Sorry, Mr. Hardplace, but it sounded like you said nudie test? Her name, for people interested in such things, was Penelopeter, but she preferred to be called <laughs> Poppy. She, like the others, had been training with Hard Place for six months, and at no point had he mentioned anything called the nudie test. Mm. I did say nudie test. Basically, you take all your clothes off and I look at you. <laughs> right, um, why? Because of Pope Stimberline said Rock Hardplace, adjusting one of the tight straps over his large human chest. Mm. Tonight, you become guild members, so you get to know all the guild secrets, and that includes some pretty freaky stuff about Stimberline. Like what? Like the reason he chopped people's heads off. <gasps> that Stimberline got some crazy vanity, but every time he look in a mirror, he see a spooky skeleton face. <laughs> so he cut the heads off people and wears them. Like a Halloween mask. The stunned silence was eventually broken by the sound of Barry Fisherlot being sick. But he can only wear each head for three days before it start to stink and bits fall off. That's why he needs so many heads. He keep them in his palace of pickled heads. So he never run out. Hard Place put his youthful hands in his trouser pockets and continued. But hear the real kick in the teeth. When he wearing somebody head, it impossible to know that he's Stimberline. Dude could be disguised as you best friend and you never know. And that's why we gotta do the nudie test. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. To see if any of you a skeleton with a head on mm. before we let you into the guild. The apprentices obediently began to disrobe. Poppy hated the idea of buffing her bits out in public, but decided it was better to be safe than decapitated by a skeleton. Yeah. She shrugged her regulation robes off her skinny but human shoulders. Is it wrong that I'm aroused at this point? It is very wrong, yes. Okay, carry on. <laughs> hey, said Barry Fisherlock. Why isn't Victor doing it? Everyone stopped undressing and stared at Victor. I'm not well, said Victor. I'm allergic to air. Um, I've got a really small penis. <laughs> and it's in the wrong place. It comes out of my leg. I'm embarrassed. Take your robes off, Victor, said Rock. Normally, I'd love to, but I I didn't put clean underwear on. (laughs) Everyone took a step back. (laughs) Oh, very well, said Victor, and pulled open his robes. Poppy didn't wait. She knew the first rule of keeping your head. If you saw Pope Stimberline, you ran. She didn't think about their screams or the thuds as their melons hit the ground. Mm. 
she just ran down a wide avenue with an overgrown park on one side and a row of huge empty buildings on the other. All London's buildings were empty now. What had once been among the most expensive real estate in the world was now free to anyone who didn't mind definitely getting murdered by a skeleton. London was empty, like a box of chips with no chips in it, like a hollow dog. No one lived here anymore. No one, except the fat detectives. If she could just make it to the guild, she'd be safe. If she could just outrun the clack of bony feet behind her. Ten minutes later, Poppy was standing in front of the guild's double doors, staring up at two enormous knockers. Hey! <laughs> she grabbed one of the knockers and pounded on it. <laughs> like a person who'd lived for years in a knockerless wilderness, then suddenly been transported to a land of knockers where everything had knockers on and was attached to knockers and was made of knockers. Knockers. <laughs> Who's there? came a voice. Ooh. It's me, said Poppy. Not Sharky the Crocodile. No, not Sharky the Crocodile. It's me, Poppy Elbow. Then you'd better come in, said the voice, and the door creaked slowly open. Inside the guild, Poppy was led up 21 flights of narrow stone stairs and taken into the large penthouse. Mm. Your Majesty, said the doorman, this is Poppy Elbow. She's one of Rock Hard Place's new initiates, the only one to make it back alive. The room was full of complicated levers, buttons and dials. It seemed to be a control room, but containing nothing more technologically advanced than a clockwork train. Like it had been built a hundred years ago by someone who really loved brass and Jules Verne stories. Hmm. Attending, the, <laughs> attending the clunky machines were three buxom young women. Healthy, curvaceous and absolutely identical. Hmm. And bearing a deep resemblance to Rock Hard Place. Like maybe he was their dad or something. Mm. One wall was entirely taken up by a window, looking out over the verdant corpse of London. And, standing proudly before it, was the man she was here to see. He wore hardy leather clothes strapped over his titanic body and made no effort to hide his wooden leg or the crutch he leaned on. His face was old, but his cruel blue eyes still burned with intelligence and fury. This was the complicated head of the Fat Detectives Guild. Mm -hmm. He turned his eyes and frowned at her, like she was an unwelcome sausage at a banana party. <laughs> it's you, Poppy whispered in stupefied awe. You're... you're... She found she couldn't say his name. It stuck in her throat like a glue sandwich. <laughs> you're... Gret Binchleaf. <laughs> Yeah, I know that, Captain Obvious, <laughs> said Gret Binchleaf. Who are you? Not Sharky the Crocodile again. <laughs> no, I I'm Poppy Elbow. You dress like Sharky the Crocodile, said Gret. If you're going to work for me, you'll have to wear the uniform. Uh. Gret nodded at one of his buxom assistants. They were all wearing the same tight shorts and low-cut tank tops, in stark contrast to Poppy's long robes, headscarf and gloves. Why do they all look the same? asked Poppy. Are they clones? No, they're not bleeding clones, you drip, said Gret. Well, I suppose now you're an FAT detective, I can let you in on the secret. <laughs> Gret looked over at the doorman. Tell her, Cocklemouth, he said. You know about the ghost heads, of course, said Wally Cocklemouth. <laughs> the ones that only King Binchleaf can see. Oh, yeah, Rock Hard Place said there's millions of them. 
I invented a machine that can give them new bodies, using the mashed-up pulp from old, discarded bodies. Mm -hmm. It takes about 500 dead bodies to make one new one, so it's not exactly going to repopulate. But we've embodified some of the smartest heads, like Rock Hard Place, so they can help us with the plan. But why do they all look the same? Lord Binchleaf insisted. <laughs> the only setting that machine needs is hot and boobered setting, <laughs> yes! said Gret. One tiny drawback is, now everyone looks the same, I never know who anyone is. Gret turned to the woman closest to him. You, he barked, what's your name? The curvaceous man fantasy opened her wide and sensuous lips and said, Grant Pinchloaf! <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <Yeah. laughs> yeah. So GB, the GB that was referred to that he went to first was actually a different person entirely. Yeah, and in Gret fact, Binchloaf it was. is the bad person. Yeah, Gret Binchleaf. Gret Binchleaf mm. <laughs> is the evil one. Evil one. And yeah. the knucklehead is uh, Greg Big Beef. Okay, Greg. If Big you Beef, remember yeah, from yeah, your yeah, chapter, yeah, yeah, yeah. so he was GB. Brilliant. Um, and they were the two left alive. So mm. actually, um, when in your chapter, when Rock Hard Place goes to Gret and says you're mm. the last one left alive, mm. that is actually true. Mm-hmm. Although it seems in the intro that he's lying because he says he lied to the guy before mm-hmm. and said he was the last one, but that's Greg Big Beef. Yeah. All right. So where were we? Okay, Grant Pinchloaf. Grant Pinchloaf. Yeah, yeah. So the curvaceous man fantasy opened her wide and sensuous lips and said, Grant Pinchloaf, sir. Right, Pinchloaf, is everything ready? I've triple checked everything, sir. We're ready for takeoff. <laughs> All right, don't boast, you slow-witted twazzock. Right, everyone strap in and I'll do the countdown. Gret, Wally and the three buxom assistants sat in nailed-down chairs and pulled harnesses over their shoulders. Mm. Excuse me, said Poppy. Did you say take off? But instead of answering, Gret shouted, Three, two, one! And brought his enormous fist down on a big red button. The building shook, there was a dog-deafening roar and the bottom ten stories exploded. Lift off! shouted Grant Pinchloaf, and the world fell away beneath them. A few hours and a lot of vomiting and screaming later, the building-shaped spaceship had reached the edges of Earth's atmosphere and was chundering its way into the vast unknown. When the original FAT detectives built the Guild headquarters... Gret was explaining. They stuck a spaceship on top and disguised it as part of the building in case everything went tits up and tits don't get more up than when they're in space. Mm. It's steam powered, which is why most of my assistants are downstairs shoveling coal. Why do you call it the FAT detectives? asked Poppy. Mm-hmm. Didn't Hard Place tell you that, stupid dead idiot? <laughs> it's an acronym, you see. Hey. We had to change it when there were no fat people left and we decided to start accepting bony pillocks like you. What does it stand for? The flipping amazing Trevor Detectives. <laughs> Good. Trevor? <laughs> yeah, I was standing next to someone called Trevor when I came up with it and I couldn't think of anything else for the tea. <laughs> Gret sat down in an armchair by the wide window, looking out over the distant stars and vanishing Earth. I have a question, said Poppy, sitting in the chair opposite. How did you escape from hell? Gret smiled. His wide, terrifying, baby-eating smile. Shall I tell you what I think? He said. I think if it looks like a tree and quacks like a tree, (laughs) it's not a tree. (laughs) What you're looking at is a duck. (laughs) 
I also think you're my type of detective, Poppy Elbow. You get straight to the point and you don't take no crap from no one. You remind me of a woman I used to know a long time ago. The woman who inspired me to become a detective. Do you want to hear the story of how I met her and took up detecting? No, thanks. (laughs) I'd just like to know how you escaped from hell. Well, you're in luck, because it just so happens that they're the same story. Mm. Gret stood and walked over to a filing cabinet, which he opened, rifled through for a moment, and pulled out a folder of loose pages. Here we are, he said, looking down at it fondly. Gret Binchleaf and the adventure of the women getting abducted by crabs. My first ever case. Mm. Gret walked back to his chair and sat down. Oh. You're going to read me the whole case? (laughs) Said Poppy, trying not to sound disappointed. Well, that's just great. (gasps) Poppy instinctively covered her mouth, then noticed that one of her jacket sleeves had ridden up, revealing her bony arm and the fact that it had no skin or flesh. Oh, my God. She pulled down her sleeve and looked at Gret, still gazing at his folder and stroking it like it was a playful kitten. Mm. I never wanted to be a detective, he said. I was going to be a magician, you know, making balls disappear or pulling a rabbi out of a hat. A rabbi? Yeah, I'm not sure I read the instructions carefully enough. Sometimes I get bored before I reach the end of a word. Hmm. Still, Rabbi Sobolovsky never complained. (laughs) Well, he was too dead. (laughs) Gret opened the folder and smiled. I have to write all my cases down, he explained. I forget things easily. And you never know when someone will come along and want to hear every sordid word. Poppy grimaced. She was starting to wish she'd brought her scythe so she could slice this garrulous gasbag's head off. She took a deep, fake breath, as she didn't actually have lungs, and reminded herself why she was there. This man knew how to escape from hell. And that was going to be valuable information when death finally caught up with Poppy Stimberline and demanded his scythe back. I'm really looking forward to hearing it, said Poppy, through gritted and ancient teeth. It was a dark night, Gret began. The type of night where the sun has gone down. Poppy looked out of the window at the bright blackness of space and hoped that Gret would finish his story before her face started to rot. Plot so far. The world has all but been decapitated by head and scythe thief Mordecai Stimberline. Humanity's last hope lies in the form of Gret Binchleaf, a form so incredibly unpleasant that the kindest description ever applied to it is eye-catching. That's true. This is also, frankly, the least accurate description, for were Gret Binchleaf ever required to catch your eye, he would most likely fail. In fact, the only things Gret Binchleaf has ever caught are nothing to boast about... Unless you're at a who's got the most crabs convention. (laughs) So bad is Gret at collaring crooks that on this occasion he has decided to head in the opposite direction entirely to escape Stimberline, flying off into outer space in a steampunk rocket with a bunch of sexy mulched humans. (laughs) But with her unique disguise abilities, little as Binchleaf realised, Stimberline is already on board. Will Gret lose his head? Or will he escape unscathed 
an unscythed <laughs> site that works better in down. Find out now in Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Complicated Head, Chapter 6, Gret Hog Day. <laughs> Nine space o'clock, exactly. <laughs> Good first line. I like I like that a lot. Good. You're going to hear it a lot. <laughs> well, I don't see how this chapter can go wrong, then. <laughs> if that's all I hear, I'm happy. Gret Binchief was lying down. Under normal circumstances, he would have approved of this. Yeah. Two of his favourite activities involve lying down, <laughs> sleeping, and lying down. <laughs> Sorry, three activities. <laughs> sleeping, lying down... And knockers time! <laughs> but today, he was lying down injured and in oh. imminent mortal danger. Oh my god. Sat astride him, brandishing a murderous blade and equally murderous grin, was Poppy Stimberline. Wow. In space! <laughs> she croaked. <laughs> no one can hear you, Stimble Scream! <laughs> Gret hadn't planned on screaming anyway, <laughs> let alone stimble screaming, whatever that was. And the last thing Gret heard, aside from the swoosh of steel, were the distant strains of the John Williams Orchestra performing the Jaws theme. It took Poppy a little while to find his neck, but after more than 14 hacks, after more teen hacks, the complicated head finally rolled off the cumbersome body. Wow, so Gret's dead. Mm. Straight in. Straight in. Chapter 6, dead Gret. Yeah, is that when he's supposed to die in Chapter 6? Oh, he's not supposed to die at all. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> he, I thought it was a rule. The rule, yes. Yeah, yes. No, he usually dies in Chapter 8, I think. Well, no, no, usually it's the funeral. That's the, that's the tradition. That he has a funeral in Chapter 8. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you just have to, I just have to wait two chapters for his funeral. <laughs> yeah, OK, yeah, you can just stay dead for the next episode. Yeah. OK. If Gret Binchleaf's severed head were capable of thought, then during the events that followed his decapitation, it would have thought two things. One thought would have expressed dismay at being dead again, <laughs> and the second thought would have been all about chickens. <laughs> Gret had prior with chickens. Yeah. During Gret Binchleaf and the adventure of the glow-in-the-dark chickens, Yikes. available now from manbycow.com, <laughs> it is, that's real. Gret had been eaten by a chicken. That's true. But survived in turn by eating his way out. Oh no, that's a bit of a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen. That's not real. I mean, that. I mean, actually, by the time they get there, they'll have forgotten it because so much else happens before yeah. then, right? So we're probably yeah. safe. Well, unbeknownst to Gret, at this time, his DNA had been inexorably altered, and Gret Benchleaf was now 0.001% chicken. Well. Wow. Which means he had more in common with a chicken than a McNugget. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, no, sorry, I was confused for a second then. I thought you meant like he had more in common with a chicken than he had with a McNugget. <laughs> Which is also true. But you meant mm. he had more in common with a chicken than the chicken has in he, common with the McNugget. I meant he contains more chicken than a McNugget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Greta contains not more because chicken he, than a McNugget does. Not because he's at chicken either, but because he's partially chicken. Partially chicken, whereas McNuggets aren't. Yes. Okay, yeah, I get it. And by fortuitous happen chance, this exact percentage of chicken DNA was the bit <laughs> that causes a chicken to run around after it's head, had its head cut off. DNA. Yeah. The DNA that causes it to yeah, run around. Yeah, that bit of the DNA. You, did you research this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I researched DNA of a chicken. Gret's massive headless body ran around the room. 
This was one of only 77 times that Gret's body had ever run anywhere. <laughs> His doctor had told him he ought to run more or risk dying young. So maybe it was ironic that he was finally going for a run now that he was dead. <laughs> but how could he know? Dead people don't know what irony is. Gret Binchleaf wouldn't have known irony if Robert Downey Jr. was wearing it and punching him with it. As Gret ran around, arms flailing, the god of luck chose her moment to step in. Or maybe this was some other intervention. Certainly some force seemed to be steering Gret Binchbody. Subsequently, Gret knocked over a bucket. The bucket spilled its contents. Gret slipped in the water and came crashing down onto the floor, where his space watch struck the titanium with just enough force to activate the shiny blue button marked He Portal. Oh, God. So are you telling me that Gret Binchleaf has a He Portal watch? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Oh, wow. And it somehow is... I mean, I feel like it's somehow going to save his life. Mm-hmm. Because like the whole the way you set it up seemed like this is an important sequence event. It's not going to be Annie knocked a bucket over and he was dead. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it feels like something important is going to happen. So stuff with his going to happen. Yeah, his he portal watch is going to have a serious effect on his on his on his on deadness his t- or, or lack thereof. <laughs> the second one. <laughs> Brilliant. So so we're finally after all this time going to learn what a he portal watch is. Exactly. And hopefully it's going to make a lot of sense why Tom Baker Doctor Who couldn't land in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's going to make no sense. I just wanted to. I just wanted to use a he portal watch. Okay. It doesn't really clear anything up. up. <laughs> the John Williams Orchestra playing the theme from Jaws backwards sounded remarkably like being on E at a dubstep club, thought Gret Benchleaf, somehow, <laughs> despite being dead. <laughs> and despite never having done E at a dubstep club, the world was spinning, but not in its typically unnoticeable way. This felt as though someone had pulled the plug out of the sink that is the galaxy, and everything was going right down the universal drain. As things went faster, the blur became blackness, and the sound became silence, and then, ping! <laughs> Eight space o'clock, exactly. Hey. Gret had only taken one bite of breakfast before being forced to put down the toasted crumpet and go to the bridge to deal with a humanitarian protest. So, hang on, did his he portal watch just make time go backwards? By one hour. OK. Gret had only taken one bite of breakfast before being forced to put down the toasted crumpet and go to the bridge to deal with a humanitarian protest. We've left the earth now, cocklemouth, bawled Gret. I no longer consider humanity my problem. I am an expatriate. You are an expatriate. Now forget saving the world and get me some breakfast. You're nothing but a big coward, retorted Wally Cocklemouth. Gret wrapped a fist around Cocklemouth's neck and throttled him. Uh. No. You're the coward. You're the coward, insisted Gret, strangling his ex-student. Remember back in school when we played put tarantulas in Cocklemouth's pants? <laughs> you cried like a baby, you big chickeny chicken. <laughs> Cocklemouth's cowardly chicken life was saved now by the sound of the sandwich delivery girl. <laughs> sandwiches! Sandwiches! Called the sandwich delivery girl. In space. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. She's on the ship, you know. All right, she hasn't just cycled through space and, like, knocked on the window. No, 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 she's, she's part of the ship. Okay. She's another one of the um, hot and boobed ones. Right, the sexy assistant. She's a sexually mulched human being. Okay. <laughs> um, Gret let Cocklemouth slump to the floor and turned to the sandwich girl. Sandwich! Gret placed a finger to the sandwich delivery girl's lips, which, given the size of his finger, covered her entire face. <laughs> Shh, he said. You had me at sandwiches. <laughs> but that's all I said. <laughs> Shh. 
Gret took all the sandwiches and swallowed them. <laughs> the crevices in his brow seemed to melt away and a look of contentment passed over his face like a believer who has just found out that their religion is the right one. Uh. What's your name, sandwich girl? said Gret happily. Mark, she said. <laughs> That's a pretty name. <laughs> Mark what? <laughs> Mark Punch-On. Punch-On, said Gret. Well, I've got a punch-on just looking at you. <laughs> Mark Punch-On giggled uncomfortably at this weirdly violent innuendo. <laughs> that was an innuendo, said Gret. And speaking of in your endo, oh Mark scurried away yeah. before Gret could take a shine to her. You didn't want to get made shiny by Gret Binchleaf. Took weeks to wash off. <laughs> I'm sorry I spoke out of turn, said Cocklemouth, struggling to his feet. I shouldn't have provoked you when you were hungry. You're not wrong. I'd barely started on that crumpet. Now piss off and do the ironing or whatever it is you do. <laughs> I'm the chief science officer. Well, go and iron some science then, you twanker. <laughs> Are we all expatriates now, sir? Came a voice. Yeah. Gret turned to the hot and boobered lieutenant, or hobo, as he was required to call them since the tribunal. <laughs> no, said Gret, looking at Grant Pinchloaf's heaving bosom. You're a sexpatriot. <laughs> as Gret stared at the boobs, he had a vague recollection that this had happened to him before. Admittedly, Gret had stared at a lot of boobs in his time, including this pair, but there was something about the locket that hung between them that was troubling him. Some recollection about lockets being bad? About how there should be no lockets? Locket equals no? But he hadn't the time to worry about mem now and then there is, because at that very moment came the sound of the Jaws theme tune. Sharky! hissed Gret. <laughs> he would have had you by now, Captain, said Pinchloaf, if he hadn't swallowed the John Williams Orchestra. <laughs> but now, when he's about, he warns you yeah. with his na-na, na-na, na-na-na-na-na-na-na. Just then, the wall collapsed and Sharky the Crocodile burst in. Hey! Run away! <laughs> Gret Pinchleaf shouted to himself, and Gret ran for the 76th time in his life. As Gret charged down the spacey, shippy corridor from the viciously greeny, man-eating crocodile. Can't be bothered with descriptions at this point. His he-portal watch beeped. He had an appointment with Poppy Elbow. He didn't have time to arse around with Sharky. Gret knew his arse from his elbow. He gretted bingeily into his quarters. And leafily unscrewed his leg. As Sharky burst in after him, growling and exuding the theme from Jaws, <laughs> Gret hurled the leg across the room. And you could say that as Gret Binchleaf's leg sailed over Sharky's head, Gret had finally jumped the shark. <laughs> Eat the crocodile. The leg landed in the closet and Sharky, dumb as a dog, crashed in after it. Gret slammed the door on him and locked it, then hesitated. Should he lock it? Something seemed to be urging him not to lock it. The same force that had helped him when he died earlier. No, hold on. He hadn't died earlier. How could he have? Oh, stupid urges. If they weren't about food or boobs, they could take a hike. You know, or at least get a cab. Just then, Poppy Elbow arrived. I've come for more crabs, she said flirtatiously. <laughs> crabs? 
There was something weird about this poppy, thought Gret as they sat on the bed. She was obsessed with finding out about hell. She had that weird sore throat that came and went at whim. And her face seemed to be less attached every time he saw her. What's more, it had been three days now and she still insisted on keeping her clothes on when they made out. Nothing, made out? Yeah. Nothing below the neck bone, she said. <laughs> oh, God. Gret sighed. I thought we were going to get to second base today. No, I told you. Only when we get to the chapter that explains how to escape from hell. Being a fan of food delivery, Gret had known many people before who had promised things but failed to deliver. How do I know I can trust you? He asked. Because... Because... Tits, she said. <laughs> Gret thought about this. <laughs> Okay, said Gret. I trust you. So you'll tell me then, said Poppy, as she sat astride Binchleaf. Sure, why not? I'll tell you now. I didn't escape at all. A genie did it by accident. Okay, that's my end of the bargain. Knockers time! <laughs> but just like with Mr McPork's pizza parlour that time, Gret was destined to be disappointed as Poppy shrugged off her gown. Hmm. I blame the unrealistic body expectations placed on women by magazines and advertisers, said Gret. Yeah. And then, now hold on, you're an actual skeleton. <laughs> That's right, Binchleaf. <laughs> and, and you just outlived your usefulness, said Poppy Stimberline as she drew her scythe and swung it backwards over her head. From the closet, Gret could hear the distant strains of the John Williams Orchestra playing the theme from Jaws. This will seem spookily familiar. In space, croaked Poppy. No one can hear you. Stimble scream. <laughs> and then his head came off. Then he headlessly knocked over the bucket. Slip, thud, he portal, ping. <laughs> Gret put down the barely touched crumpet and went to the bridge where he almost strangled Cocklemouth to death, shouting, chicken, chicken, until he was interrupted by the arrival of the sandwich girl, Mark Punchon. <laughs> Gret was getting some serious deja vu. Properly serious. Not like the comedic version he usually got, where he'd remember some ham he'd eaten once and laugh about it for an hour. Um, <laughs> so that's the characteristic of Gret now. Yeah. Sometimes he remembers some ham that he ate once yeah. and laughs about it for <laughs> half an hour. Shortly thereafter, being chased by Sharky the Crocodile, Gret took off his leg, threw his leg over Sharky and sent Sharky crashing headlong into the closet. Then Poppy Elbow arrived and shrugged off her gown, giving Gret an entirely different form of bone. Uh. <laughs> Moments later, running around headless, Gret Binchleaf knocked over a bucket, which in turn <laughs> spilled its contents, causing him to slip and come crashing down on the floor, where his he portal watch struck the titanium. Ping! <laughs> Eight space o'clock, exactly. Yeah. Gret had a bit of crumpet. <laughs> Gret choked the chicken. <laughs> until Mark Punchon came. When Sharky entered his bedroom, Gret quickly got his leg over. <laughs> Poppy denied Gret head, and Gret kicked the bucket. <laughs> Ping! <laughs> Eight space o'clock exactly. <laughs> As Gret prepared to put down the crumpet, he stopped suddenly. The she threshold light was winking at him from his he portal one. <laughs> the what? The she threshold light. <laughs> Okay. It was trying to warn him. It only did that when there was something very wrong in the universe. Gret thought hard. Mem now and then there is danced around his ginormous noggin. The waltz, the rumba, and then one took a run-up and did a skid on its knees. Hold on a bleeding second, said Gret Benchleaf, realising the anomaly. I never leave food. 
So Gret stayed in his room and ate the crumpet. <laughs> then another. Then lots more. Then, tired from all the effort, he took a nap, where he dreamed that he was locked in a time loop that needed unlocking. He was rudely awoken by Sharky the crocodile breaking down his door, but with the power of his genius, and using a trick he'd watched in a dream just now, he fooled Sharky into the closet and didn't lock the door. Poppy Elbow arrived. I've come for more crabs, she said flirtatiously. <laughs> Have a crocodile instead, you bony prazak, said Gret. A second later, Sharky came out of the closet. <laughs> well, said Gret, out of the decapitating pan into the crocodile. And a second, second later, Sharky the crocodile swallowed them both alive. <laughs> Why did I write this chapter? How will Rufus pretend this never happened? Can I go home now? Find out the answers to three wholly different questions next time on Gret Benchley and the Adventure of the Complicated Head. Howard, no. do you remember that other show we used to do called the Man by Cow podcast? I don't. What are you talking about? Well, you know, you can still get many episodes for free on the Man by Cow podcast feed, but some of them are exclusive to our secret gang, but you can get them for just $2. Wow. For example, here's some clips from some of the missing episodes that you could get right now by joining the gang. Ooh. There's a horde of rotting, drooling zombie dogs outside. Oh, this is a trick, isn't it? Look, look. <laughs> See? Okay, maybe they're regular dogs, but someone told them to play dead and they're just really good at it. We're getting ready to go now. Many more episodes of the Man by Cow podcast are available now for just two dollars. Okay, I'm getting inside your cabin. I swear nice inside it's very roomy. I could probably live in here quite happily. You're not living in our cupboard, just uh, fix it, Flux. Yeah, well, obviously I'm going to fix it first. Or I'm just going to start living in it. All 33 episodes of Man by Cow are available now for a single payment of two dollars. From patreon.com forward slash man by cow. Rufus, what are you doing? I'm unplugging the theme tune. I need the sockets. What for? I have to charge this detonator or my bombs won't work properly. Bombs? Yeah, bombs. Why are you, why are you making bombs? Exclusive episodes such as The Bomb in the Toaster, in which Rufus and Howard go to heaven. Or do they? Where are we? I don't know. There's clouds and everything's white and... Hey, look, there's some gates over there that are decorated with something. Kind of makes them look all pearly. Oh, I know where we are. It's some kind of a gay cruise, isn't it? Oh, I think we're in heaven. Hey, maybe this time we can meet someone good rather than flipping Hitler always turning up. Oh, what's wrong with Hitler? You know, Howard, there's an old proverb. Those who fail to learn history are doomed to say things like what's wrong with Hitler. The intruder in the house in which Mr. Fluck takes over the... The entire show. Hello. Just go away, Fluck, and stop coming over here all the time. Oh no, I've just got, well, I've got one very important question I need to ask you. What? what? What's so important? My question is, would you like to have a look at my attraction? What? Coshing them. <laughs> Hello. I'm coshing them. I'm coshing Rufus and Howard. They're being coshed. The dinosaur in the garden, in which Dennis Quaid saves the world from giant creepy crawlies. Stick insects are called stick insects because they stick to things. Mm, are you sure about this? Yeah, yeah, it's like flies, right? Flies are called flies because they fly to things. Goats, they're called goats because they go to things. And bees, right? They're called bees because they are. Ah. 
the melon in the office, in which Rufus and Howard's kettle can see the future. Good morning, Master Howard. I bought one of your tea, sir, and here's your muffin. Thanks, kettle, but I, I don't really like boiled muffins. I predict that if you try them, you'll like them. But I'm not going to try them. I predict that you will. Hey, these muffins are nice. The body in the kitchen, in which Rufus and Howard deal with a death in the family. Hey, Howard, yeah? what's your most vivid memory of Uncle Mick? Good question, good question. Um, well, I think it would have to be seeing him dead on the kitchen floor this morning. The monster in the cupboard, in which Howard must travel back to the 1980s to rescue Rufus. Rufus, look, it's me, Howard, hooray! I've come to rescue you out of the past. Where the crapping balls have you been? I've been watching telly. I've been waiting for you here in the past for seven years. Why didn't you just get in a time fridge and come back? It's broken. Have you tried... Hitting it with a hammer? Yeah, obviously. I was going to say if you tried resetting it. Well, I would, but, you know, the reset button fell off when I hit it with that hammer. The dictator in the dining room, in which a murder at a birthday party leads Howard to become a detective. Howard, did you invite Hitler to my birthday party? Well, I could not invite him, could I? Yeah, I think you could. If you really tried hard, probably managed not to invite Hitler to my birthday party. Download and keep all of Man by Cow, plus exclusive Gret Bidgeleaf stories, videos, live streams, and much, much more. Hey, hey, Rufus, what's wrong with your sheep? It's not a sheep, it's my pet dog. Look how alive he is. He looks kind of floppy, mate. All for just $2 right now at patreon.com forward slash man by cow. You know, you can't do card tricks. No one accuses you of being a dead dog. Oh, you're getting bogus all over the cucumber sandwiches. We're getting ready to go.